Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Robert Zirk is on vacation this week. On today's show, it's our best of 2017 shows, part one. We'll be revisiting some of our favorite conversations over the past 365 days. Up first, we're going to hear from Trenton Burton, singer-songwriter who released his debut album in early 2017 called 6 to 21. Then we're going to talk to Tessa Blakey-Whitecloud of One Just City, and we'll learn how they're helping those in Winnipeg who need a helping hand in any aspect of their life. Then we're going to talk to Margot Ross. She's of the Canadian National Institute for the Blind and learn about their new guide dog training program as well as what it's like to eat a meal in the dark to try to experience what it's like for, as a blind person. And lastly, we'll hear a great story about a Winnipeg community rallying together to save a West Broadway staple art city. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello and welcome to River City 360. It's just Nolan Bicknell here with you today as my co-host Robert Zirk is on vacation. And what that means is we're going to be uh, revisiting 2017 and some of my favorite conversations and favorite uh, interviews that we did. Up first, it's going to be Trenton Burton. He is a former Red River College student, now graduated. Uh, That's also a singer and songwriter who came up with his debut album early in 2017 called 6 to 21. It's a really cool album, really interesting songs written, and it's kind of about his journey from the age of 6 to the age of 21. Really cool conversation. So that's coming up right after our first musical break. So we've got Two Hearts, Two Kisses, Make One Love by Giselle McKenzie right here on RC360. <laughs> Will make you feel crazy. One kiss will make you feel so nice. Two kisses put you in paradise. Two hearts, two kisses make one love. Two hearts will beat us one dear. Two arms will make me know you care. I have plenty of loving. Your kiss is hotter than an oven. Two hearts, two kisses make one love. Loving you, baby. Love should be made by two Two hearts will beat us one dear Two arms will make me know you care I have plenty of loving Your kiss is hotter than an oven Two hearts, two kisses make one love Make one love Two hearts, two 
make one love. Good morning and welcome back to River City 360. Nolan Bicknell here with you this morning and I'm now joined in studio by Trenton Burton. He is a Red River College student and a singer-songwriter. Trenton, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. You have a fantastic uh, project coming up. Um, you're in the creative communications program, is that correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. And at the end of the year, everyone does this kind of big project, uh, the independent professional project, and you've decided to record an album. Uh, why don't you tell me what makes this album special to you and why you decided to do it as your big year-end kind of project? Yeah, sure. So um, my album is called 6 to 21, and it uh, it's an album that focuses on basically... Uh, my experiences of living with mental illness, and it's kind of a, a chronological story. So it uh, starts with six, when I was six years old, because that was kind of my first memories of the whole thing. Um, really my first memories of anything, really. But uh, And then 21 is how old I am now, so I planned on basically a chronological. So uh, and in the middle um, is 12, so I kind of have it going through different... Um, different ages not everything is numbered but basically have it going through different stages so um noticing symptoms being diagnosed um hiding it and then realizing that like talking about it was just better in the first place it should have talked more about it just uh, about the pressures of hiding it uh and then kind of kind of current day um basically what what's all going on um that's very personal i would imagine like yeah so how do you feel when someone comes up to you and says yeah my my friend or family member um has gone through the same thing this has really helped me understand or helped them understand how does that make you feel when you're actually affecting people like yeah, that Yeah, that makes me feel like i actually this is worth it basically yeah i got a message um from someone the last week and uh i don't know who they like it was just someone that saw one of my songs and uh they're saying you know, like, oh, for the last five years, I've been I've been suffering from, like, PTSD. Thanks so much for doing this. Um, and it felt me like, wow, I'm actually, you know, this is actually doing something. Because when I was in the writing stages, because it's something I did completely alone, right? Like, right. no one had, I'm, I'm performing with a bunch of my friends um, on the, sh- like, during the show, just, you know, help flesh out, you know, the songs. But I had written this, um, performed it, like, mixed it completely on my own. The only other person that had heard everything was um, Jamie Sitar, who was the mastering engineer. Um, who I had just emailed. I hadn't even spoken wow. to him in person. Uh, so it was a really, it's its kind of like you're in an echo chamber and you're like, well, is this other, are other people actually going to? Yeah, it's not like, like a typical this? creative process where you're, or it, you're not having iterations of a book and different edits and different, you know, it's just like you're, you create the art and then you put it out there. Exactly. Yeah. Because there had been a couple people that I had kind of sent stuff to. Of course, my girlfriend, I had, I had kind of shown, but very hesitantly. For there sure. is, I remember I, I was uh, showing her. Was she, was she gentle when she heard it? Oh yeah. No, <laughs> she, she, uh, I, I honestly think I could have shown her something that was horrible and she was still would have been like, oh, I'm so proud of you. That's so For great. Sure. Um, of course, I would never show her anything that I actually didn't want to show, right? For sure. But I still, I, was, I think I was, I was playing her the first, um, like it wasn't even mixed yet. It was crumpled. I think it was right after I had recorded all the vocals in her basement. I'd come upstairs and she's like, oh, hey, can I listen to what you're like, you know, what you, what you just like recorded? I'm like, eh, and she basically talked me into it. But I'd still basically talked through the whole song because i didn't want her to hear yeah. the whole thing you didn't want her to be able to focus on exactly it. i was like no, no yeah so this part yeah this part but i wasn't really i was really trying to distract her i'm like don't don't seriously listen to this don't seriously listen to this so it was there was that sort of thing um so i had never really shown many people the full kind of thing until i i think i sent six to a couple of my friends like a week before I had released it. So do you still have these reservations or has it sort of crept down a little Um, bit? It's definitely crept down. Um, It's always been, uh, I've always been 
weird at accepting compliments. I, it was always been something that I was um, I was like not afraid of because you know like you people love getting complimented, Human, right? Yeah. Like it's obviously like I would love when people say like, oh yeah, I, I like your stuff. But I've always I'd always been kind of weird about it. You don't want people to think that you think that about yourself. I, I think that's part of it. I think that's part of it. It's also the uh, I don't know. It's it's one of those things because I had first um, the first time I sung really in public was with. Um, the guy who's now playing bass with me for the show, but he was playing drums. I was on guitar, just doing a whole, you know, a little black keys thing for like a high school talent show. Um, and I think my band teacher had come up to me like, Hey, I really, li-, and I honestly, I just interrupted him. Like, I, I felt kind of um, like bad about it, but I'm like, Oh, Hey, uh, cause I asked him basically a question relating to uh, something else that was going on that day. But uh, cause I don't, I, I don't know. It just felt, it felt weird. It's like, Oh, you know, you did a re- really good job. Um, but I, I've been kind of, kind of slowly coming around to it as weird as that sounds, the, the biggest problem is, oh, people are complimenting me. You know, like it feels like a lot, of, you know, it's like a problem. That's a, that's that, a good problem to have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is it still feeling surreal when you see yourself on CTV or yeah. see yourself on the front page of the free press? Yeah, it's getting, art section. It's getting weird <laughs> because uh, I'd co- always kind of imagined what it would be like to see, you know, like, I mean, I think a lot of musicians, artists or people in general say like, oh, like, can you imagine if I was like recognized for something well, I did? Well, you create art for people to consume it. Yeah, exactly. And the more people that have the opportunity to experience it the better you feel as an artist because you feel like you're getting your message out exactly yeah it was it was kind of weird like i I had walked into that ctv um basically studio and it almost felt like i'm like wow i almost feel like a legitimate artist artist." you are yeah it was uh hate to break it to you but (laughs) you are it's official (laughs) yeah it's once i saw that i had watched it um very hesitantly because uh i i actually skipped the interview um, part when I was re- when I was rewatching it or watching it um, later online because I didn't want to hear what I had said because I'm like I, I hadn't said anything that I didn't you know didn't regret or sorry <laughs> regretted but uh, I just been really nervous about um, like I don't, I don't know getting secondhand uh, secondhand embarrassment for myself for sure um, but I'd kind of you know very hesitantly listened to the performance to see I, I was relatively confident about it about it actually um, when I came out of it um, I'm like you know I think I did okay I think I did okay. Uh, but I listened like, wow, okay, that's okay. I I can show people this. This will be fine. Um, well, you sounded great. Thank personally. you. Yeah, I I was, wor- I worked really hard on um, trying to get these songs performable for a solo person because right. I while I am there's a, solo a lot of layers. Artist, there's yeah, a lot of layers. Exactly. Because when I was creating the album, um, I didn't want to limit anything because of course I was still doing this. You know, it's really personal, like the whole personal like writing. But I was to the point, like, I don't want to make this harder, any harder than it is. So I'm just going to do whatever I want for the actual music part of it. When it comes down to performing it, you know, they'll just, I'll just do something. You'll figure I'll, it I'll out. I'll figure it out. Yeah. So, of course, now it's time to figure it out. But I, I've, I've been figuring it out. And it's, uh, I was performing with, um, or practicing with one of my bandmates. And he was saying, like, you know, these songs are actually turning out quite a bit better, um, you know, stripped down than I had expected. Mm-hmm. And I kind of agreed with him. Um, has has this process been therapeutic for you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, during, when I was writing it, I actually felt like I was, it was kind of like almost like you're getting closure, I guess you could say. Um, like when you're kind of tying up loose ends, when you're like, oh yeah, that is how I, I, I feel about this, or that is how I felt this. Um, it's kind of like going back to your memories and kind of, um, I don't know, like not, Finish, finishing them is a weird term to use. Closing a chapter, yeah, maybe? Yeah, it's like closing a chapter, and it's kind of like moving on sort of thing, because um, that was definitely part of it when I was writing it. Um, I would drive home from recording, and I was like, yeah, no, I did 
like this is I'm ha- much happier. Like you know, it's a, it's like kind of like a cathartic situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it was just I felt so much better after I had written this stuff. Um, and it's weird because I actually writing it it came to me pretty quick for most of it. Um, well, you write what you know. Yeah. Ex- well, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, let's let's set up a song. Let's play a song here. Um, tell me tell me about. Uh, Maybe pick your favorite track and we'll play it for the people. Sure. Um, so I think for let's I think let's play six because I think that was where it really started. That was one of the only songs that didn't um, change much throughout the whole thing. I had added kind of um, a bridge part, I guess you could say, to flesh it out. Did you write them in order? Um, or not that's a good question. It, it was a bit in, kind of in order. The first th- the first three were in order. Um, and then the other ones, I would just say, like, oh, you know what? I'm stuck on this one. I'm going to go to the sixth one, or I'm going to go to the eighth one. Um, but a few of them, like the first one and the second one, for the most part, didn't have too many changes to it. Um, but every other one went through at least five iterations of other tracks. Oh, this is track seven. Oh, okay, cool. Um, track six had, I think, 20 different like iterations of, like, okay, this is going to be track six. No, this is going to be track six. I'd posted uh, on my Instagram page, I think, a while ago, um, all the saved files I had for, okay, this is going to be track six, to the point where I was writing in the files. I'm like, this is track six, I'm serious kind of thing. Right. Um, but yeah, so this is this is one that I think really sums up the whole project. It's the opening track, and it's basically um, a memory from when I was six. And it was kind of my first memory of really going through the whole thing. Of realizing something um, was that? Yeah, um, and it was basically, I was lying, I was trying to go to sleep, actually, and I couldn't because I had I had been woke or I had been keeping myself up because I kept feeling like I wanted someone to break into the house, and it sounds kind of it's kind of a silly um, kind of thought because like basically it was oh I want people to come in and steal all our stuff and then you know just leave and I was like well no that's why would I want to do that? and of course I'm six so I'm thinking because I don't you know you don't know these you what, know what you this know is, robbers right? are bad and that's yeah exactly it. you know robbers are bad but you don't know that oh you know this is actually part of something else this isn't you thinking so basically I was basically just terrified. Um, cause I was like, no, 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 this is, I'm fine. Like, why would I, why would I want this to happen? Um, so basically this song kind of describes that and it goes through a few different, um, voices, I guess like my own voice and then the voice of like, um, I don't know how, like, it's like the other, I guess that's, it's still in my voice, but it's the saying in, stuff I would say. Yeah. That's very yeah. interesting. I'm, in, I'm, I'm excited to hear it. Congratulations because I know how much work goes into putting an album together. Oh, thank you. And yeah. never mind just doing it by yourself. So that's a, a huge accomplishment. Um, I wish you all the best. Thank you. Trenton Burton is a singer songwriter from, from Winnipeg. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Who is currently enrolled at Red River College in the creative communications program. And I guess we're going to play the song called Six yep. from Six to 21, his uh, debut album. I guess. Thank yep. you very much for joining us. Thank today. you for having me. Appreciate it. Sleep as
lights match five more times If you don't, you'll see why I told you so when your family dies Stay behind the line or cry Here's your mother with a knife Cross the throat, you crossed me Don't like when I show a dying It's the fate I'm glad you see I'm glad you see I'm glad you see I'm glad you see Flip the light switch five more times If you don't, you'll see why I told you so when your family dies Stay behind the line or cry Trenton Burton with the song Six from his debut album, Six to Twenty One, that was released earlier this year. You can find that album in its entirety at trentonburton.bandcamp.com. That's T R E N T O N B U R T O N, trentonburton.bandcamp.com. Up next, my conversation with Tessa Blakey Whitecloud of One Just City, which took place all the way back in episode 10. Uh, I love how she describes. Um, One Just City as an organization that, quote, actively loves the underloved. Really well put, and it uh, couldn't be more apt. She has a great story, and One Just City is a very wonderful organization. So here's that interview. Good morning, and welcome back to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you this morning. And we're now joined in studio by Tessa Blakey Whitecloud. She's the fund developer of One Just City. Tessa, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So for our listeners who haven't heard of your organization, just give us the rundown of uh, who you guys are, what you guys do. So One Just City, we actively love the underloved. So we're really lucky to do that through four amazing member charities. And those are Oak Table, North End Stella Community Ministry, West Broadway Community Services, and St. Matthews, Maryland uh, Community Ministry. So we're in the West End, West Broadway neighborhood, Osborne Village, and the North End. Really trying to 
build and be community uh, with people that just don't have that for whatever reason those barriers might be. So we have a gentleman who comes in and uh, his name is Michael and he'll he'll explain to you like all the different programs and services but how he's really not there for any of that and what he comes in for is hugs. Uh, and then we also have people that come in and we see them maybe for a couple weeks and we help them find the right resources and then they get back on their feet and then we never see them again. So it's about being there for that core population that for whatever reason doesn't have that community or family to turn to if we weren't there to build it with them. But then also being there in an emergency when someone needs uh, you know a warm lunch and someone needs socks and someone needs a place to sleep and someone needs just those little things that we might take for granted. Right. It, you hear the cliche falling through the cracks a little bit. This seems like something that uh, really helps to remedy that situation per se. Yeah, and it's it's not just filling in the cracks of what is missing in terms of material, but it's also like filling in the cracks of what is broken in someone's life. So filling in the cracks of being told that you are worthy of love and not having that come with, and now give me something. Um, So just like you're here, we love you, we appreciate you. Um, You know, what are you here looking for? Do you want to eat and not be spoken to? Because we'll respect that. Or do you want to come and um, access food, but also meet new people and build your volunteer skills and look at ways that you can give back and really build people up. So one of the things that I think is amazing um, at all of our sites, but the story I'll tell you is from West Broadway Community Services, is a gentleman who it took him like eight years to be able to show up regularly for a volunteer shift. Uh, But he had been living with homelessness since he was about eight years old. And what happens often is we start to write people off. Like at a certain age, we're like, well, you should just have your stuff together. Um, but if you've been struggling that chronically with homelessness, how are you supposed to have your stuff together? Because now magically you're 20 right. or now you're magically you're 40. Uh, and so this individual started volunteering. It was like, hey, show up between nine and three for an hour. And now he shows up regularly on time for one hour and he gives tours of the shower that he uses because he lives in a rooming house. And so like if I gave you a tour of that shower, I'd be like, here's a shower. But he's stoked. Um, and other places might have turned him away because he didn't have volunteer skills to bring. He was a volunteer who we had to build the skills up of. And I think it's what's a big part of our work. It seems like baby steps in a lot of ways for people who haven't been properly educated or built up with love growing up. And they need sort of to start from scratch almost, it sounds like. And they need someone to believe in them because they don't right now. Right. Um, One of our projects, thanks to the Thomas Sill Foundation, is our community capacity builder. And she will tell you. I said, what do you actually think your job description is? Like, don't don't read it to me. Just tell me. She's like, well, really? Uh, her name's Laura. She's I, I believe in people enough that they can like vibe off of it until they believe in themselves. Right. Well, that's amazing. So what, what's the day to day kind of operations for you and everyone working at One Just City? Like or, I would imagine you're seeing some pretty heavy things day in and day out. So what, what does that do and how does that take a toll on you at all? Or? It for sure takes a toll. And one of the things that I think we do really well is also be a community in terms of who our volunteers are. And and we're very low staff. So uh, One Just City has one staff and then each of our sites has one, sometimes one and a half staff. So we're a very small organization administratively. Um, but, you know, at Oak Table, for example, they start the day uh, with just their volunteers in the space they do a check-in and they say and now we let go of everything going on in our day uh, so that we can be here for people whose days might be struggle and then at the end they bring it back together and they debrief and they talk it through so we're also about building up that 
uh, side of our and making sure that our volunteers because they they run us. Right. Um, we run on over thirty thousand volunteer hours every wow. every year, and so that's five full time staff equivalent. And without people volunteering all the time, our doors would close tomorrow. And so we try to make sure that our volunteers are there for each other. For sure, yeah. Um, you mentioned sort of socks and other undergarments and things. G- give me an example of some of the things that people don't normally think of that that others might need uh, when it comes to coming off the streets and just getting a warm sleeper bra and panties or you know anything like that. yeah totally and so i think it's fitting that we're talking this sunny morning because actually this afternoon we'll be at the forks promoting our brunch for bras very cool and we're doing that on april 9th it's going to be a really fun event with uh, winnipeg comedy festival we have an amazing mc in laura ray and so it's a winnipeg's uh, comedy festival sponsored comedy brunch but all of the funds raised are going to go to help women not just like pick a bra from a bin but instead actually get to go have the dignity of shopping for one. So women who leave domestic violence for a lot of reasons that have to do with controlling partners tend to leave at night and tend to leave in their pajamas. And quickly. And quickly. Yeah, like packing is not possible. And wearing a bra to bed when somebody's very observant of all of your moves might not also be possible. So one of the women on our committee, for example, um, was in a shelter this summer. And of the 27 women there, two had bras. And so if you think about trying to regain independence and go for job interviews and that struggle and, and, and we kept on hearing stories like this and another one of our women uh, due to chronic illness, uh, you know, she, she got a certain type of cancer that really plays with your weight and now none of her clothes fit. And again, like that trying to get healthy enough to maybe think about working again, but doesn't have clothes that are professional and the first step in that can be a bra. Mm-hmm. So brunch for bras is going to be really fun and you can find a bunch of people wearing wedding dresses at the Forks this oh uh, afternoon to be promoting that and you can buy tickets or support tickets. But what's going to happen is the Soir Lingerie is on board and they're actually going to let women come in with a gift card from Wonder City. And we're going to open this up to all service providers in Winnipeg. So this isn't just about us. We want everyone to have access to the right support. Right. So uh, they'll get to go to the store and shop uh, $50 at cost. So that ends up being like 300 retail wow. um, to be able to buy whatever they need. And so Soir is donating the rest of those costs. So it's going to be an amazing event on April 9th, but we're promoting it today. And just, yeah, like a bra, like we don't think about it. Yeah. Um, probably most men don't think about it anyways, but for sure we might not think about that barrier and and what it means in terms of how you're looked at and how you're treated as a woman when you're going into job interviews or even that for some picking through a bin like you're never going to find what fits so that's something small um uh but huge for sure (laughs) it seems very valuable to be sort of um on the ground level and seeing exactly what people need because you don't normally think of some of these things but give me uh you've talked about uh, the gentleman that is now volunteering give me some more um success stories that one just city has helped to uh bring forth yeah so i think one of the success stories that uh, sticks to mind for me with just a warm sleep uh, which of course is our newest initiative so we just started in january uh, being open overnight at augustine united church uh with one just city volunteers to have people come and have a warm sleep and one of the folks that's accessing that space um is uh named andy and he actually is working full time um so it's being able to come to just a warm sleep uh and and actually sleep well and then go to work has really moved him out of crisis and into planning and so he's looking for to get an apartment for april 1st um he's been saving his money he's been having those conversations figuring out how to get it's a credit problem that is blocking him from getting an apartment right. so looking at how do i reestablish my credit and being able to have those conversations in a supportive environment and so he's looking to moving out of just a warm sleep into housing and i think that that's a, a really good example of a success story that you know sometimes it is just one little lift 
or in this case, several months of actually getting to sleep warm, which is a huge lift, um, because of the people that donated and made that possible for us to keep yeah. those doors open. And I think that's a really good example of a success story. Another one out of St. Matthew's, Maryland Community Ministry. We had a woman um, who was coming regularly and... Uh, and we knew and we saw signs that she was experiencing domestic violence. And we wanted her to feel safe in our space before we started asking about what was going on. And so we kept on just saying, you know, I'll, I'll call her Lynn for the purpose of the story. Uh, Lynn, you know, you're welcome here. Um, Lynn, we're really happy to see you. Uh, Lynn, you know, uh, how are you today? And, and just kept on building that relationship. And uh, eventually Lynn said, you know, it feels really weird to be here and I can't put my finger on it. And our staff said, well, what do you mean? And she started to elaborate, you know, well, I just I just feel like nobody wants anything from me here. They just are happy I'm around. And I just and I she wasn't used to that growing and up. And she wasn't used to that in her relationship. Um, and so eventually our staff said, like, I think, Lynn, like, I think you just are saying you feel respected. And uh, and what if you felt respected other places? And Lynn said, well, well, I don't right now. And so um, Lynn's partner, who was uh, at that time being physically abusive as well as emotionally, uh, Lynn left. And we didn't see Lynn for a while, which was actually really nerve wracking. But about six months later, Lynn came back and said, can you help me now help my daughter leave? Because she's picked partners like I picked partners. And so there we can see that like one relationship ripples into the relationships in that person's life. And she has a granddaughter that's four. And so now we see an intergenerational switch. That's incredible. um, To demanding that respect just because somebody was in our space at St. Matthew's and gave that woman that respect. Right. And, and so understanding what respect feels like probably maybe for the first time. Yeah. Or for the first time in a long time, at least. Totally. And I know, you know, it's uh, coming from my background working in mental health. Like we do replicate what our parents teach us. And uh, lots of communities struggle with domestic violence. And, and lots of women end up in domestically violent relationships even when it wasn't what their family of origins were like. So it's, it's a really, I think that's a huge success story. And we didn't really recognize within One Just City actually until a grant asked us what we do around d- domestic violence. And then I asked our four member charities and collectively we help 60 women leave a year. Jeez. But we never tracked it. That wasn't really part of the mandate originally, but it no, just kind of what yeah, you had to pivot and, s- and respond to. Totally. And so out of that, it was... Uh, it was, okay, well, what are the needs of these women then that we're not meeting now that we've recognized there's this core group? And, and that was another reason why we're going to be celebrating the Brunch for Bras today and why people should come out. Well, there's Brunch for Bras today. There's Just Warm Sleep happening now. Um, you can find all this information on onejustcity.ca. But for people who want to maybe donate or want to volunteer their time or want to help out with your fantastic organization, how can they uh, get involved? Yeah, so they can, again, check out that website. Uh, they can join us at the brunch on April 9th if they want. Uh, they can be in touch with me on social media. We're one the number so don't spell it out and then just city uh, on all social media platforms but uh, they also can drop into one of our four member charities and you can find them on the about us page and connect with us there and then we also have uh, we're working with love local on the march 18th uh, event where you get to sample some local eats and help us feed some local hungry tummies and then uh, we're also working with uh the Alt Hotel on an upcoming Women's Wellness Weekend. And so there's lots going on that to help connect with us in terms of events. And of course, we're always looking for volunteers. And I think so many people in our city just have like amazing skills. And we like working with them to figure out what's best for them. So mm. we have someone right now doing food waste reduction because like that's their passion. But they wanted to be able to volunteer with us. And they're like, but this is what I'm really into. So they're doing food waste reduction and trying to divert food from landfills to soup kitchens and support us in getting that food. And so, you know, we'll work with you to figure out your best fit. No matter what your skills are, you can help out 
in Winnipeg anywhere, but specifically at One Just City. Thank you very much, Tessa Blakey-Whitecloud. She is the fund developer at One Just City. Appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan Bicknell here with the 2017 Year in Review show, part one. Up next, we're going to be hearing from Margot Ross of the CNIB. I had a wonderful conversation with her back in episode 37 a few months ago. And then up next, we'll hear uh, a conversation that happened a few weeks ago, which is with Josh Ruth of Art City. Really cool stories, uh, really interesting conversations, both of them. But before we get into either of those conversations, here's a little Marvin Gaye with Pride and Joy right here on RC360. to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today. We're now joined in studio by Margot Ross. She's the manager of Major Gifts at CNIB. Margot, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. So we wanted to have you on the show today because there's a very cool, very special event happening tonight, which is the Dine in the Dark event. It's an annual event where people get to literally have supper uh, without the use of their vision. Uh, we'll talk about that event uh, a little bit later on, but first, maybe just talk a little bit about CNIB. What what the what some of the uh, programs and things that that you do to help Winnipeggers who are suffering from vision loss here in, in Winnipeg and Manitoba. Thank you, Nolan. I'm delighted to. We are at CNIB, just celebrating our 100th birthday. Wow. We started in uh, 1917 after the Halifax explosion. As well, after the, second, after the First World War, there were a lot of blind veterans 
that came back and there were no services for them. There were lots of folks who were blinded in the Halifax explosion and there weren't services. So a couple of gentlemen got together and decided to create the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. So we've been in business for 100 years and I'd like to say that we are going out of business but that's not the case. There's um, over 30,000 Manitobans who identify as being legally blind. Wow. And we also know that as the population ages, there's more and more folks who are faced with the challenges of vision loss. For sure. So CNIB provides all kinds of great programs. You're referred to CNIB by your family doctor or ophthalmologist. And some of it is straight straight ahead counseling. What is it like to mm -hmm. all of a sudden not be able to drive your car, be able to see across the aisle, those types of mm -hmm. things. Um, there's also counseling for your spouse or partner and family. Right. There's counseling to learn how to use the microwave again and find your way around the kitchen mm -hmm. and do all of those household things that we are accustomed to doing, but when you lose your vision, you can't anymore. Right. So sounds like very useful and important work, obviously. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the guide dog program. Now, I learned recently that you're not supposed to say seeing eye dog anymore. That was kind of when I grew up, oh, there's a seeing eye dog, but now it's guide dog. So guide tell dog. me about the new guide dog program that's going to be rolling out uh, at CNIB. Well, we're very excited. Um, Winnipeg is one of three pilot cities in Canada cool. that is starting up its guide dog training program. Before that, folks who were blind had to go to the U.S. or other provinces in order to get a guide dog. Now we're going to raise those puppies to be guide dogs right here in Manitoba. Cool. And for those who want a guide dog, they the individual has to be very good with a cane first. It's not just anybody who mm -hmm. is blind who can use a guide dog. You have to have good mobility training first. Okay. Are the dogs trained with the canes to work along with as another kind of tool to help to help the blind? That, that's exactly it. The okay. way it works now is the, the puppies will start arriving in Winnipeg in the next few weeks. They will be um, taken in by a puppy training family, volunteers of CNIB, who are going to raise those puppies to the age of 12 to 18 months. They're going to teach them basic obedience, socialization, going on buses, all of the types of things to get the puppy ready for true training. Mm -hmm. And it's an opportunity for the program to see whether the dog has it in him or mm -hmm. her to be a guide dog. Is it only for certain breeds of dogs? I know we're getting a little deep here, but I would imagine not every kind of dog would be able to handle that kind of a stressful environment sometimes. You're exactly mm -hmm. right. For the most part, they're yellow. Mm -hmm. Labs, labs, yeah. They're yellow labs. And not all guide dog puppies graduate from right. the program. Some of them just aren't cut out for this work. So they end up often being therapy dogs for mm -hmm. other challenges, such as folks with autism. They sometimes go into hospitals and nursing homes to be loving pets, but certainly not all dogs graduate sure. from the program. It's very rigorous. Especially because it's life or death situation. Like, you know, sometimes it's very dangerous potentially for the person with seeing issue or with blindness. Exactly. Yeah. So is the, uh, is the Dine in the Dark to raise money for this new program? Or let's talk a little bit about the Dine in the Dark. It's happening tonight. Uh, tell us a little bit about this program, or about the dinner, and what people can expect. Well, it, it's a great evening. Um, we, we start off with, with a reception, and at that reception we have one of our amazing clients who is a brilliant pianist, 
who will welcome folks with beautiful music, oh, nice. musical stylings. We're going to have our trio bike there, which is a bike that is piloted by a sighted person but allows one or two folks who do not have vision to go for a bike ride and feel the wind in their hair. And for many of them, they've either not ever been able to do that or since they've lost their sight, they, they right. can't. Um, and then we'll have Ulysses. And Ulysses is our guide dog puppy. Oh. And Ulysses will be there with his handler and going around the room and meeting all kinds of folks. Marcy Marcusa from CBC Radio is, ho is hosting it along with our dining coach, Tracy Garbett. Tracy works at CNIB. He's a Boston marathoner. Oh. He's a specialist in independent living skills. And he's going to, with a lot of laughter, ask people to put on their blindfolds to have dinner in the dark. Have you ever dined in the dark before? I have not. Yeah. I'm very excited to be doing this. I did it in Montreal a few years ago in a true... Um, completely pitch black room and actually all of the service staff were um, either legally blind or or s sort of on the spectrum of not being able to see so it was really interesting having it's kind of like you go into their world right like you get to experience what it's like and the little things that you take for granted like using a knife and fork and grabbing for your glass or, or your drink and being able to drink it and just having a conversation with someone it's very it's a it's a whole new world so I think people are going to really enjoy that are you going to be uh, dining tonight as well with everyone oh very much so I wouldn't miss it I'm bringing my family and uh, we will dine in the dark awesome do you know what the menu is going to be or anything well I had asked if there was going to be super spaghetti oh on goodness it. And they, yeah and they no. said no no we don't need to overdo it so do they do, do they do sort of friendly food like that's going to be easy to eat and not too sloppy and messy it is yeah. although I'm, I'm suggesting you may not want to wear your very very best outfit yeah exactly. but Tracy will do an excellent job of explaining where all the food is on the plate giving like you what hips. quadrants kind of exactly of the plate? Yeah, which yeah. quadrants or even by the hour of a clock um, he will also explain how to pick up a water glass and a wine glass without tipping it over, yeah. which usually means fingers moving from the table, oh, not yeah, up in the yeah, air. Yeah. Um, how to grab, how to pick up your fork and hopefully not your neighbor's fork. Right. But we're bound to see a lot of that, and we think there's going to be a lot of laughs. I would imagine so, definitely. Margo, thank you so much for talking to us today. Margo Ross is the manager of Major Gifts at CNIB. Thank you so much for talking to us, telling us all about the uh, guide dog program and about tonight's event, Dine in the Dark. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to River City 360. Up next is my conversation with Josh Ruth of Art City. They uh, recently had a bit of a financial difficulty in pulling funds together for some of this year's programming. And the West Broadway community truly dug deep and, and really helped them out. It's a cool story about a really truly impactful organization that's coming up after this musical break. But here's Tony Fisher with West of the Wall right here on RC360. West!
listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today, and we're now joined in studio by Josh Ruth. He's the Managing Director at Art City here in Winnipeg. Josh, thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure. I love CJNU. Hey, well, it's our pleasure to have you here. So we told our listeners a little bit about Art City before the break. Uh, You've been helping Winnipeg kids grow, evolve, and learn about sort of the transformative power of art for nearly two decades. I think 19 years you guys have been open. That's right. It'll be 20 years uh, in 2018 next year. Very cool. Well, happy early birthday. Um, For someone who hasn't heard of Art City or doesn't know what you do, give us a quick breakdown about, like, what would you say to that, the the breakdown of what Art City does? Sure. Well, if you can imagine a storefront space, uh, you walk in the door and you uh, immediately see people of all different ages, uh, all different backgrounds, all different walks of life, and they're all engaged in making art. Um, and when we talk about art at Art City, we're talking about art experiences, opportunities for creative self-expression, um, less sort of uh, what we call cookie-cutter crafts, where people get the same thing at the end, um, and more about just giving the opportunity a safe place and encouraging environment for people to be able to discover their own creative voices. And Wanda Koop is our founder. She is a internationally renowned artist from Winnipeg who lived in the West Broadway neighborhood for more than 30 years. And her um, idea, her sort of philosophy behind Art City is not that we are trying to make the kids into artists necessarily. I say kids, but we really are an all-ages center. Our, Our focus is on children and youth, though. That's always been at the heart of our mandate. Um, and it's not that we're necessarily trying to turn the kids into artists, although if that happens, that's wonderful. Um, but we feel that if you can learn to think creatively, you can survive just about anything. And for a lot of our participants, uh, survival uh, is the first step toward thriving. Absolutely. So you mentioned a little bit about what you can inspire in kids other than just artistic expression but like what what are some of the other benefits that these children that you see from day one when they come in and they haven't picked up a paintbrush before to you know however long they stay with art city sometimes years at a time and what do you see uh how how does that progression work and what do you how do you see that evolution happen well any kind of community work is relationship based and so we work very hard to try to get to know each participant to get to know the things that matter to them, not necessarily, you know, the intimate details of their lives, but uh, to get to know their, their sensibilities, their sensitivities, and, uh, and sort of bring out the best version of themselves that we can. Now, we're not, you know, counselors, we're not social workers. We do that through art. Art is really an end in itself, as we see it at Art City. As you mentioned, it has a transformative power, and we believe that that applies to individuals as well as communities. And um, it's, uh, it's great. I mean, we have a lot of laughs at Art City. And 
I think, by contrast, uh, a lot of the participants that come to our programs um, outside of our walls uh, experience a lot of uncertainty and uh, instability. And so, um, again, our focus is on the art, but we see so many natural byproducts of that kind of activity uh, for improving people's lives in a very tangible way. Right. Today's show is all about community pride. And one of the nicest stories that I've read in months, maybe years, is how the community rallied around Art City recently um, due to a delay in sort of annual, annual funding that Art City normally got. Uh, so you were in a bit of a financial crisis, but through this crowdfunding campaign, um, the community really rallied behind behind Art City and was able to save your programming for, for an for a amount of time. So tell me how this all came to be. Tell me about the community rallying behind Art City and how, and, and how that made you feel. It's incredible, really. Um, we saw, looking down the line, that we were headed for a serious cash flow crunch, um, one that could be potentially devastating to all of our operations. Now, we were waiting for some funding that was delayed, as you mentioned. And, um, you know, it was a sort of perfect storm. There were a couple of other things that uh, that factored into that. And I'll spare you the details, but seeing it coming, we um, we went on austerity mode and um, really scaled back all of the things that we normally do. Um, I mean, one of the things that we uh, feel is important is that the kids who come to our programs have access to professional-grade materials, and we use a lot of recycled and donated uh, and repurposed materials, but we also um, we have a budget for uh, buying good art supplies uh, for the kids to use. So um, we just completely scaled back on everything and tried to do as little spending as possible. And then as the as the year went on and the funding uh, the payment wasn't coming, uh, then we had to make a decision that we've never made before, and that was to cut some of our outreach programming temporarily right. until we had the, the resources to be able to continue to do those. So that meant uh, shutting down programming at five sites in other neighborhoods around the city. Now, I should mention at this point that we do a lot of outreach programming, and that programming happens on a weekly basis. So these are in communities where there are groups or organizations working with youth, but they don't have an art program. And so they come to us and say, can we have you come once a week and do an art program here? And, and those programs are tremendously successful. And, you know, um, in a lot of those neighborhoods, um, you know, the kids are just so underserved and mm -hmm. have such little uh, engagement with the community. So it's a really great opportunity for us to be able to come in and build relationships there as well. Mm -hmm. um, and Unfortunately, then we had to suspend those programs in five sites, and uh, the kids were at those sites were really disappointed to hear that news, uh, you know, as were we all. For sure. And then uh, the check still wasn't coming, so we realized we had to reach out and ask for help, which is something that, you know, we're, I'm always conscious that the messages that come out of Art City are life-affirming, and I don't want to transmit anxiety. Right. Um, but the, the situation was so, so was dire, so anxious. Yeah. yeah, it was so dire that we really had to just put, put a call out and say, listen, if you care about, if you care about kids, if you care about the youth of our city, and if you, uh, think that, uh, art programming, uh, is a valuable thing for them, then we're asking for your help. And, uh, there was a tremendous outpouring of support from all over. Yeah. And as well as people sending money lots of well-wishing, lots of comments about how valuable they feel that uh, art programming is for young people. And um, 
it really meant a lot to us, uh, and the funds that we raised were enough to surpass the goal that we set at $50,000, um, which, yeah, meant that we could start up programs in those five sites again. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, when you do this kind of work, sometimes you wonder if the wider community even knows or cares about what you're doing, and that's no longer a question for us at Art City. Yeah. We see that that the city of Winnipeg and even beyond um, places a tremendous value on our children and youth. As they should. And it's it's always, it, this has been a discussion for probably 20 years. Like when I was in school, the first thing that would get cut is art, drama, music, you know, things like that. So why, where is the disconnect between the people who are making the decisions and the community who clearly wants this? Like why, do, why is it such a struggle, do you think, working in this industry? Why is it such a struggle when you clearly, you, there's data to back it up, there's clearly a community desire for it, yet the people sort of who have the money don't necessarily think that it's worth putting it into like what why how why is there this disconnect do you think well that's a big question and it's a good question and one that I think about a lot Uh, we clearly don't place a high enough value on the arts in our society although there's a lot of there's a lot of talking about how Mm -hmm. valuable they are and and how important they are for people to have access to Um, as a society we don't put our money where our, our mouths are mm-hmm. uh, and I think that it's uh, I think it's a complex reason for that but for one thing I think art is often seen as a sort of leisure activity or a recreational activity it's uh, when you know obviously I'm biased but I would say that it should be far more central um, one of the things that we hear a lot from grown-ups <laughs> who come to Art City is oh I'm not creative at all I, I, right. I'm not an artist I could never I can't even draw st- stick figures yeah and we feel that every person has the capacity to create and should be given the opportunity and the tools to do so. And that uh, it's through uh, engagement with creative self-expression that we access empathy, that we access our intuition. Um, these are valuable things for being a good citizen in a society. Um, and if we placed more value on that and if we put more resources into that, I think it would drastically change the way our world looks. So what what is next for Art City and where can people find out a little bit more information about the great organization? Um, well, we have a website, Art City Inc. That's I-N-C dot com uh, and a Facebook page. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram as well. And all of all of those sites, Art City Inc. is always our handle. Um, and yeah, our programming is up and running again. We do we do uh, drop in programming after school on weekdays. And then we also have special programs that run in tandem with those drop-in workshops uh, in uh, film photography, digital photography, ceramics, uh, drawing. And uh, now we have a Saturday program uh, that's focused on indigenous art. Mm. And that's um, a really great opportunity for indigenous and non-indigenous people alike to uh, appreciate and engage with and make art that's uh, both traditional and contemporary indigenous art practices. and uh, yeah, we have special events uh, often. We're going to do a big exhibition in, at the end of January at uh, La Maison des Artistes in uh, St. Boniface. And, um, you know, it, w- there's so much going on all the time, and there's so many different workshops that we do. And uh, I would just encourage anyone that's interested in knowing more to check out our website. We've always got our programming calendar on there, too, if folks want to come down and, uh, and try out some programming. Uh, we're always looking for good, dedicated volunteers. We have uh, almost double the amount of volunteers that we do paid staff, and we absolutely would not be able to do what we do without their 
dedicated service. Uh, so if that's something that interests people, um, there's information Perfect. about that on the website as well. Artcityinc.com for more information. There's something for everyone, even if you think that you don't have artistic ability. You do, because everyone does. Josh Ruth, thank you very much for talking to us today and sharing the story about Art City. We really appreciate your time. My pleasure. I would also like to just, if anyone listening uh, contributed to our Art City SOS campaign, we are endlessly grateful. Thank you. Thanks. That's a wrap on this part one of our 2017 Best Of episode. I hope you enjoyed revisiting some of these conversations, or if they're the first time you're hearing them, uh, I hope you enjoyed as well. River City 360 Views and News from Around Winnipeg is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with 93.7 CJNU. If you want to give us a call, you can reach our listener line. It's open 24-7. Tell us how your 2017 was. We'd like to hear from you. That number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. And yeah, just drop us a line, request a song, let us know how your 2017 went. We'd love to hear from you. You can also search at River City 360 on Twitter or River City 360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and we'll see you next week. Have a great weekend.